Welcome to Sound More, the official podcast of Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, where we talk about recent scholarship, ideas, current happenings, and many other interesting tidbits. I'm Amanda Luke. And I'm David McDonald. Today on Sound Lore, we continue our series, Tales from the Field, where we speak with graduate students recently returned from or presently conducting field research in folklore and ethnomusicology. Our second guest in the series is Amy Makoda, a doctoral candidate in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology here at IU. Her research focuses on gender and activism in German hip hop, and she currently resides in Berlin, Germany. Hi, I'm Amanda. Hi, I'm Amy Makuta. And today you're going to be part of our playlist of Tales from the Recent Field, even though your recent is actually still current. Right. So could you give us a brief background of your research and what is it you do? Well, I'm a PhD candidate in the department, Folklore and Ethnomusicology at IU, and I research gender and social activism in German hip hop. So um, that that's what it's become. We could go into kind of what it started as, which is very similar. Um, when I started, I started with the idea in my MA in 2014 of it being women in German rap. And two, now three fieldwork periods later, and more classes to open my eyes to the idea of um, what feminism is really, what gender encompasses. And then also working with the artist over here, it has morphed into what it is, which is the gender and social activism in German hip hop, because it needed to be more broad than what I had originally started with. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into wanting, okay, back in 2014, why did you start with feminism and hip hop and I started it because the topic that I was focusing on for my MA was not anything that I wanted to be doing anymore. And that was medieval studies, and it was pagan sites in Germany. And that was still fascinating for me, but I felt like it just, I don't know, I had this feeling that a class I had been in as an undergraduate a German language class, I had an AI introduce us to literally 10 minutes at the most worth of German music. And she played a female rapper by the name of Aziza A and explained who this woman was to German hip hop. And that never left my mind. And so whenever I decided that I was open to considering a different topic for my MA research, my mind immediately went back to this artist. And that's what started it. I went on the internet trying to see what this artist was doing currently. And it all spiraled from there because it became a quest to find what this artist and two other artists in the same time period were doing. And then I realized they were out of the field for identically the same reason that the that the music genre was too misogynistic too patriarchal for them to be able to productively continue in the field at that point mm -hmm. and there's where my interest started peaking over what is what is it that these three artists dropped out and you can't really find them online and and that's that's where it started. Literally, I had to figure out where these women were. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know where all three of them are. I've spoken to all three of them, so that's that's good. Yeah, but I mean, for me, it didn't start really like with feminism or anything. It just started with a. I mean, it did, but I didn't realize it. It just started with where are these three women because they were so prolific and they were so fundamental to this music genre in this country and why aren't they still in it mm -hmm. so yeah it started with a search and then i was lucky enough that my department sent me over here for a six my first six month fieldwork period so i arrived with a decently detailed spreadsheet of what i could find on the internet about them and about other artists but i had zero contacts no networking 
nothing. I knew nobody. Wow. I, I came in completely cold. How I became acquainted with anyone, honestly, it's, it's, I can credit it to them and me messaging them on their Facebook page. I realized very quickly, of course, every artist had a Facebook, this is 2015, every artist had a Facebook page and an about section. And it became very obvious in their about section, they wanted people to find them. So they would give either a link to their website or an email. And then I would just message them, sit back and hope they would contact me. And almost every single time they contacted me. I can't think of really one person that I've reached out to over the years that didn't at least contact me back and say, yeah, I'm interested or no, I'm not. So that's how, that's how my first interview happened. And it took me about, I got here at the end of September. It took me until the first of November. So about five or six weeks. Yeah. And, and five or six weeks, not really probably only two or three sending out messages. The first two or three were, was getting acclimated to a new country. I'm trying to imagine what field work, what your field work would have been without Facebook. Oh, I could not have done yeah. it. In, uh, I could not have done the field work this quickly in any other moment in time mm-hmm. previous. It, obviously, there were many people that did field work before I ever came along, but and maybe they did it quickly, as quickly, but I don't feel I could have for this particular genre that I knew nothing of. I had only visited the country one time for about five days, six months before, to look at the research place and try to get a grasp on what I was doing and where I was going. Social media was everything, everything. And I did not use Instagram that much. It literally was all Facebook at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, the first person that I ever interviewed was one of the three women that I had found in 2014, whenever I was looking. So not only was I able to get an interview under my belt within the first six weeks, it was one of the three foundational women in the music genre. So that's why I say it really wasn't me. It was them being receptive I owe all of it to them saying yes yeah are you still working with them yes <laughs> yeah yes okay. um one of them one of them wasn't interested in being part of it although she's she's very nice um woman and she explained why she just wants to leave that in the past the other two I've 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 worked with I've become friends with is you know like more than acquaintances like I will talk to them. Um, One of them, as soon as I relocated here recently, one of them texted me, things like that. And that in itself has been, at the time, something that was very surreal and now sometimes is as well. You become more than acquaintances to some of them. You really do feel like they incorporate you into their life at whatever level they want you, you're, they're comfortable with or you're comfortable with. And they go out of that circle of just someone you've interviewed or someone that you know would respond to, to someone that you know things that you do in your everyday life as well. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners actually where you are? You're not in (laughs) Bloomington at the moment. I'm not. I'm not. I am in Berlin, Germany. So all of the research that I have done, I've been stationed in Berlin. The first six-month research period in 1516, I traveled all over Germany to about five to six different cities to do interviews because the artists were located in different cities in Germany. But I was located in Berlin because the program that I was on with uh, Fry University and IU had an a exchange program. It's located in Berlin. So that's where I lived. When I came back for the second fieldwork period, two years later in 2018-19, same program but for a 11-month fieldwork period. So again, I was stationed in Berlin. But at that point, all the artists were here. I only traveled out of Berlin, I think maybe two or three times, and it was maybe a couple hours away. Now I'm back again 
And again, the artists are still here. So when I first started, I didn't think that I would end up in Berlin because I didn't know at that point if Berlin was an important hub. Again, it didn't used to be as much of a hub as it was the second time I came. It, when I first came, it, it was scattered. I was going to ask if there was a reason that all of them had kind of drawn into Berlin and how did it become this hub? I asked them that and, and it was so different. In 1516, it, the, the, the music genre was very scattered. I mean, it wasn't very popular. Whenever I would compare to what it was when I came back the second time, when I would go into the clubs in 2015-16, it was very rare for me to find a woman performing rap or being a DJ in very many of the clubs, at least of the ones that I went to, were, which were on Warshire Strasse on the east side. When I came back two years later, it was a completely different scene. Everywhere I turned, it seemed like there was a woman doing some type of hip-hop activity, whether it was DJing, whether it was graffiti, whether it was breakdancing, or whether it was rap. I asked them the same question, and they told me that there had been a resurgence of popularity, and that Berlin being the liberal hub of Germany that it is, is where it started the the resurgence of women uh, women have always been in this but there was a resurgence of interest in paying attention to the women that were in this music scene and that it started in berlin and that's where it was the strongest and so the artists naturally started moving here so that they could get more gigs and be more incorporated into it um, berlin is a lot like bloomington in that Oh, only much bigger in that it's Berlin is this really extremely interesting, liberal, diverse hub in the middle of a very conservative piece of land, <laughs> just like Bloomington is kind of to Indiana. So if you can imagine if something becomes very popular in Bloomington and it's kind of out of the box people are going to move to Bloomington if they're artists or, or whatever field they're in to be part of that. And that's what these artists did. They started coming here for more gigs. The more gigs they got, the more sense it made to start staying with people. Then they just transferred in. And a lot, and some of them lived here all along. So, but the ones that I would travel for, like I went to Munich for, I went to Hamburg for, they're now here. Mm -hmm. So less and less reason for me to go elsewhere at that on that field work period now they're all still here good even though it's corona even though the you know 99 of everything is shut down arts and culture wise they're still here yeah how is the pandemic affecting uh, your research yeah that i'm sorry that sounds like yeah it's, well it's just it for me it becomes very obvious how much the current corona time period has inhibited arts and culture everywhere and how much it has impacted that particular sector of life is really obvious now that I'm back. Before, well, I mean, it's there is such a stark difference. Before, I you could you couldn't go on the metro after eleven o'clock at night and not see hordes of people heading to clubs mm -hmm. or concerts. Now, not happening. <laughs> I don't go out after nine o'clock at night myself. Whereas before, I was in the clubs until three and four in the morning, off and on, at least two three times a month depending on who was performing it's, but it's not just that it's music in general, you know, street vendors, people that just set up their guitar or their piano seriously on the street. They're almost gone here. Um, I took it for granted before. I mean, I enjoyed it mm -hmm. and I participated in it, but it was so common 
now when I go into the metros, public transportation, or I'm walking the streets, if I hear any music whatsoever, I am tuned in thinking, where's this coming from? Who's, it's just so rare. Who's playing it? Yeah. Why are they playing it? I, one of the, there, there were two things that happened recently. Um, one of them, I was coming back from um, another location and I heard a girl in, with a guitar just singing. And it, gosh, it was so beautiful. And it was in English. So it was a song kind of about loss and wanting to go back to things the way they were and stuff like that. And I was like, man, that's beautiful. I turned a corner and she's standing there with the guitar and a mic just singing. And I looked around and there were probably five or six other people that would stop. Some people were sit up, sitting on the ground. And keep in mind, it is like temperature-wise, probably 25 degrees. And everyone's distanced. You know, we're so used to staying apart from each other. And of course, masked up except for the singer. And it was just like we all just stood there. I stood there for over 10 minutes just transfixed. Because you just don't get that now. A couple of days later, I'm sitting actually in the metro on the subway, and I hear a piano. I look up thinking, man, that sounds not, that does not sound like a portable piano. I look up, it's a piano. <laughs> it was on wheels on a cart. <laughs> and these two young people had wheeled it into the actual subway car. And there was a guy playing piano, classic piano, while his girl, that I guess girlfriend or partner or friend or whatever, was holding onto the piano so it didn't move with the different stops. Wow. They, they weren't doing it for money that I could see. They literally were just doing it. So that's what's so different. Before, it was common. And a lot of the times it was to make money. Now, the two times I saw it, people are doing it just so you could hear music. That was big for me to think about the power of music, of how it is here now. It's not taken for granted. Mm -hmm. it's, it's special at this point. I wonder if that'll hold true once the restrictions on public outings and gatherings are able to be lessened a bit anyway yeah if yeah. not oh we've missed the music the performances i wonder if that will hold true through i don't know if we can say that the world's going to go back to normal but right or if it'll end up taken for granted again so maybe with the passage of time it, people yeah. will forget perhaps um of course, the new generations that come up, they're really little now, you know, in 10, 15 years, they won't understand as much. But I think there's going to be a part of all of us that are here right now that will never, ever forget at all. And that's whether it's music or just being able to be in a restaurant or whatever. So absolutely. Yes. Without a mask. <laughs> without a mask and without that kind mm. of fear that you're yes. too close to somebody yes yeah that, that's big yeah i'm gonna go back to field work yeah, just, for a little bit yeah. um, what have you found about the process of taking field notes throughout your different trips even how has that process evolved for you or how have you adjusted it based on okay this worked um, <laughs> well one of the first things i can say is because i went for my first field work period as an MA in a field that did not teach the importance of field notes, I didn't even know the word field notes. Mm -hmm. And that's nothing against the department. It's just that that wasn't what it was geared for. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> what I naturally did coming back from that first interview was just write to myself, a one-page Word doc of kind of like Dear Diary. <laughs> That's all I knew what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I did today. And really that field note, <laughs> the only thing I can do reading it now is laugh because it had really nothing substantial that I could really put into a dissertation or a thesis other than 
I, I remember a line of, I think I talked too much during the interview. And I did if I listened to myself on audio. But as I went on in that six month period, I realized really quickly that coming back to my apartment and writing them down wasn't my thing. So then I tried recording to myself on my iPhone. And that helped. Now, when I entered the PhD classes and I realized, oh, fieldwork notes, that's what I did whenever I was audio taping myself and writing myself that note about what I had done during that first interview. I realized because I was being taught that there was structure to that process, which was good. I unfortunately, in a way, had done it backwards mm -hmm. and didn't learn the structure first. And this is what I have learned about being in class versus being in the field. Class is kind of what you said. Class can give you ideas on how to formulate your field notes. And that's what it's for. But only you know what style works for you and what's best. And it might be what you were taught in class, or it might be something that you create based on what you were taught. Class definitely is the time to learn the structure, but the field work is the period that you take that structure and fine tune it. It's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like learning how to read a sheet of music versus playing the actual song. Mm -hmm. Because you learn the basic of how music works when you're learning sheet music, and then you bring that knowledge into the actual playing of the song when you play it yourself. Field notes are that to me only kind of in reverse. You in the field, you listen to what you heard from the people that you're talking to, that you're interviewing. And that becomes the song of what you experience. And then you write that song down. If you don't, <laughs> and this also comes from my experience you will forget some of the best pieces of the things that that person has said to you or some of the best ways that you can incorporate that into the writings that you do. So they are very vital to do in whatever form works best for you. Okay. And that is what I remember about the fieldwork class, them stressing how important it was to not skip this step. They are right. <laughs> One thousand percent. You mentioned field notes, how they were for you in the beginning, such as they were your dear diary. Um, so, your field notes for your dissertation research. Is there anything you've noticed that you did that was particularly helpful in thinking when you went back to them, like not well, yeah. selection, but of oh, okay, this. I can see how this will be used in my dissertation. Oh yeah, definitely. And really, as I was going along doing those, you know, the last time I was here, I was already making those connections and bold facing things in my field notes. This dovetails onto the other interview I did with so-and-so, or this idea would be good to build on in a feedback interview. I would, I would, make notes to myself within the field notes, notes to future Amy, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, of you need to make this connection when you go back over these. And that's why I think that these notes are so important, because if you don't do them like that, then you don't make those notes to your future self to go back and review it. And maybe you're going to make those connections automatically when you do reread them or when you do rethink, but maybe not as fast. Yeah. You know, and um, for the dissertation, yes, studying for quals, yes, I went back through the field notes I had briefly because I thought, you know, if I can tie in what I've done based on what I've written at the time, based on the questions that I could be asked, that might be beneficial too. And it was field notes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be something to, to talk about and kind of where where I'm going with what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, when I came when I came over here, I was very fortunate that I came back to Berlin. Mm 
I mean, I entered Berlin on December the 21st in the middle of COVID, mm -hmm. not knowing if I would make it through the border. I mean, yeah. I mean, I particularly thought I would because I had paperwork and I qualified for an entry program based on my long-term relationship with my partner. That was the only reason I got back. Um, self-funded completely with the exception of if I can call it self-funded, thank you to ATM and Alan for letting me work that spot in the fall because that's that money propelled me to come back sooner. And not knowing kind of what I was going to walk into when I, when I walked back into Berlin, yeah. other than what I could see online. And what I realized is that these artists are creating in COVID, but it's also like any of us, they're trying to survive it. <laughs> you know, just the mental toll it's taking on all of us, especially creative people. <sighs> Yeah, I was going to ask earlier, I've forgotten how they managed to make it with their gigs, presumably yep. cut down. Oh, yeah. Most of them had secondary jobs, like they were teachers or nurses or owned their own businesses that had virtually nothing to, or worked for businesses that had little to do with hip hop or social organizations things like that there was a, there were only a handful of the ones I worked with that I believe were fully self-supported by the art and they've transitioned into doing things online but also the schools here were very supportive about bringing these artists in to teach classes to kids and now since classes are back online they have them come online and teach so yeah. I don't remember specifically the amount, but I know that Berlin, well, Germany and Berlin passed and uh, created an endowment to boost up the arts here. And I think I'm just going to guess that's where some of the, I don't know anything, but maybe that's where some of the schools got the money to, to employ these artists and have them still teach music and hip hop and rap and spoken word classes online and in person. The schools have only been shut in person here for about maybe four weeks. They were open before that and they're supposed to open towards the end of March. Um, so most of them, I think, though, had the other jobs um, to go to fall back on. So it's given a lot of them time in a studio. A lot of them, from what I could see, had personal studios or new ones that had personal studios in their houses and then they would get together and let each other record and things like that so i think it, at least the ones i knew from what i could tell and what some of them had told me it brought a lot of them closer together because they all well they knew it before this they're just a big community yeah here that rely on each other i would say the ones if i had to guess in this community that were most more impacted were the ones that weren't the artists that worked in the clubs Ooh, yeah <laughs> yeah and I know a few of them but I haven't touched base with them to say hey what are you doing um what are you doing now but I see from their posts that they seem to be doing okay I mean I would assume although then again that social media <laughs> social media but like, yeah. still yeah but the fact that they're still here let's just yeah. go like that they're still living here they're still active online they're still promoting the culture. Oh, uh, when I say that, I mean the culture of hip hop. Um, yeah, no experience in hip hop, not really. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I understand that though, because that's that's really how I feel sometimes too. And people, I feel like people would expect me, you know, to to know. And I I learn every day. But the culture of hip hop over here. Mm -hmm. It's a hybrid form of what I believe it is in the U.S. I mean, it's a different country. It's a different artists different take on those artists but it is literally over here it goes back to the foundations of hip-hop love peace unity and having fun so the pillars and it is definitely a unified community here it is one that's extremely open and diverse it is one that is about the art 
And again, you guess you could, as I'm talking, you could say I look at through rose-colored glasses. I kind of tend to look at lots of things through those glasses, though. <laughs> That's pretty indicative of me. But they definitely are doing it to have fun and the relaxation, the peace that it brings them. Um, there is a club here called YAM, Y-A-A-M. Uh, it was hit really hard, of course, with this lockdown in the last year, but they've started a community outreach online where they're collect, they were in last summer, I believe it's fall, at least if it's not going on now, they were collecting food and being food distributors to the needy. So it became, and it kind of was that all along anyway, but that became the sole focus of more of a, of a social organization and social activism. The one thing I can say about COVID where, social activism is concerned is it brought it out <laughs> like you know, four things I just said like yam turning into an organization that is doing things for the community where they again they always did but when that becomes the sole focus that definitely was COVID because the music and the gigs and everything else shut down yeah the the culture over here I don't think it'll ever go anywhere there's no way it would ever leave this city or this country it's completely in, ingrained um it's not so much anymore but i did hear it a couple weeks ago and see it you know just somebody walking down the street with <laughs> back in my days of the 80s the big radios that sit on the shoulders only they do have them only they have the carrying handle ones the blasters there were a couple of kids just walking down the street and they had hip-hop blaring and it was german hip-hop um usually it's american when you hear that for a lot of the times because they look up to american rap but it was german hip-hop and they weren't trying to make themselves a spectacle with it either they literally were just carrying it to hear it um it's still here yeah. You know, there, um, things have moved to Twitch. Isn't that, the, isn't that the word? See, that's bad. If I don't know that, my daughter will cringe, so I won't ever tell her about this. <laughs> but some of the artists, some of the artists have moved to that platform now for the very first time. <laughs> and I was online on listening to that and listening to some of my favorites play over the last couple of weeks here and it was really strange for me in a way though I was listening to one knowing that she was like about five blocks away <laughs> whereas before I would have been in the club with her which I had been many times yeah so it's changed it that way but still it was her and it was still good and yeah. it was you know still hip-hop <laughs> yeah speaking of um one of the that you're the artist you spoke with agreed to let us hear yeah. a bit of her music this is tj adana she's one of the women that i interviewed the last time i was here i've spent time with her since i've gotten back in i think i was with her regards just last week and um this is a track that she created in lockdown she calls it gobsmacked in space and she explains it that the feeling that she has during lockdown where she just wants to leave everything that's going on, basically just float up, go to the sky, look at the stars, get new creativity and new ideas and meditate. And she believes that this is a track that reflects kind of those feelings that we all have gotten right in this time.
And what I like about her is that she's hybrid between EDM and hip hop. And that's where a lot of it started moving the last time I was here into groups that were hybrid blends of different genres. And I think that's the way a lot of music is anymore anyway. What I really liked about her music is that you could dance to it. Um, I mean, we danced to hip hop over here. We danced to rap. <laughs> yeah. But combining EDM with it makes it really danceable. And also the tracks, you know, tend to last longer in EDM. So mm -hmm. she was able to mix more of um, her music in with the different samples she's taking. And then the tracks were longer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she has her own studio in her house and is to this very day still creating. Good. Yeah. Again, a lot of this lockdown didn't slow these artists down in creation. It just slowed them down in visibility in the public eye. And just changed in, in person. The platform. And it, yeah, it changed the platform. And but also now we have this great online community of music. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope never goes away. Yeah. You know. I am hoping that a lot of the enhancement and online communication sticks around. It's nice. It's convenient. Oh, it's great. I know. I love it. I don't love COVID, but I do love some of the things that came out of COVID. Yeah. So this I don't want to stress you out with this question, but where are you at in your dissertation stage? Well, I have found getting used to being in Germany again is taking twice as long now. I mean, it always took me a good three, four weeks to get reintegrated into mm -hmm. German society. Nothing wrong with German. I could have been anywhere in the world. That wasn't my home base. Yeah. Um, it's double now. So I'm right on the edge of, okay, now I'm here. Now I'm used to being here and all the adjustments. Um, like I said, I met with one of the people I work with last week just to talk. I've talked to a few of them online. Also for me, and this is a word of caution that needs to be said to other people, would be transcribe your interviews <laughs> as you go if you can. Whether you do a full transcription, whether you piece, I don't know what the words would be, but I'll just call it piecemeal. The transcription, you pick and choose, you listen to it, you write just a summary of what it is, but do something because that was the trap I fell into. Mm -hmm. of the interviews came so quickly and so fast in such a short period of time that before I knew it, I was sitting on 30. And if you can imagine, if you fully transcribe an hour interview, seven, eight hours each interview, mm -hmm. just do the math. 30 interviews is plenty to do a dissertation on, a book on, and then some. But where I am is listening to those again and making those connections because that was two years ago. Yeah. And I have forgotten what particular things were said. So that's where I am now is listening again. Now, again, I'll just boot it up on my phone and listen as I'm doing something else, but I don't want to write the full thing, but I know which ones I want to do in order because I know the connections because of the field notes. <laughs> I can draw that right back in Good, because yeah. I can read the field notes and I can see you know, this interview synchronizes with this interview, then I can just go right to those particular ones and do them. Yeah. Now I've got a general outline of the dissertation and what I want to, how I would like to organize it and kind of what theoretical foundation, thanks to my calls advisors to use, but I'm basically what I would consider ground zero, <laughs> ground one <laughs> of the process of it being done. But for me, if it takes another two years, it takes another two years. The only thing uh, that bothers me with the pace that I've done is that I don't feel like I've done it quickly enough to give back yet to the arts because that was my biggest reason for doing it is I wanted to give them what they wanted, which was 
recognition for what they're doing in written form that was out there for other people to know about. And there's where I feel like I need to step up now that I'm here and now that I'm used to being here is to get touch and also feedback interviews because how could I write a dissertation and not mention COVID? Yeah. That beats a huge gap if I didn't. So just briefly contacting them, which is what I've started doing and saying, hey, you know that I moved here now and what are your feelings about your art during this time period? and seeing how many of them want to comment and incorporating that in. So in a way, if I had taken the last two years or the last year or whichever time after calls and written a portion of the dissertation, I think I'd still be going back to a certain extent, listen to me justified to what I'm doing now though, and trying to do feedbacks and reframing it anyway. There will always be stuff that comes up that you can't work in because it's you've already written before. True. True. The next big thing happens, but do you have a brief sentence or two about what theories you are using and kind of what you have potentially decided, I won't lock you into anything, to write about between the gender and social activism? You know, in my quals answers, it was not obvious to me, but it was obvious to the people that were reading the answers. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, it really was. Yeah. It was, it was in front of my face and I didn't even see it. That... What really unites all of the interviews that I've done, the thread that goes through them is mobility. The, and now immobility mm -hmm. of people, of artists, of music. How they, because a lot of these artists are, they weren't born and raised in Germany. They moved from other places. And they're a part of different diasporas. So their ability to move here, their ability to physic physically move here, not maybe their ability, but, you know, like I already said, between my first fieldwork period and my second fieldwork period, there's a huge move to Berlin. Yeah. Um, Germany's history with mobility and with the wall. Mm -hmm. with, you know, a divider between East and West country and East and West Berlin. Um, what happens when that wall comes down? What happened to the, to hip hop, you know, um, when people were able to move back and forth and trade ideas, what happens right now with COVID and how immobile it is immobilizing it is but how mobilizing it is in other ways like you and i've already talked about with the online platforms now that's really the theoretical grounding of everything that i would write and every artist in the interviews touched on that in some way shape or form of their ability to communicate with others the reason that they were saying they were focusing on themes of immigration some of them do their music. Um, some of them focus on themes of misogyny and the patriarchal system in life in general. Um, you can work that into people having mobility or being immobile. Yeah. So that's gonna be the thread that holds it all together. How the rest of it's organized, yeah. I think it'll just organize itself mm -hmm. as I go through and decide what other views come out of what the people have told me, what other themes, I guess. So I was going to mention, um, also this has to do kind of like where the dissertation is now. I've done some other things that have been helpful getting me back into the mode of fieldwork as well. Um, one of the things I did, I had a girl contact me right after I got here. Her name is Olivia, and she is an undergraduate right now. And she's a poli-sci in German, undergraduate double major. And she contacted me because her research is German rap and activism, focusing on diaspora and immigrants. Mm -hmm. And she contacted me because of the same reason that I contacted some of the people that I interviewed for my research. 
there's not that many sources out there that write about this. And I spoke to her a couple weeks after I got here. She asked me questions similar to what you have asked me. How, how did I get into this? What do I hope to, to do with it? And also I asked questions of her, like how did she find it? Yeah. Because it's so rare to speak to another colleague that does this. And I was excited that she's just she's doing it and she's just a batch in her BA. And also she has political science, which I felt like was one of the degrees I never focused on and wished I had, still wish I had. So it was great to talk to her because it got my head back into what was what I was here to do even though I've permanently moved here, what I came here to do in the first place, the first time. And then before I left the U.S., um, I got involved again online with a group called Women in German, which is a national organization in the States of academic women from different colleges across the nation whose research focused in or around Germany for whatever reason or the other. And I was a member of that group, but the president, which is Maria Stella, started a, uh, for all the women that were interested, started kind of like a small offshoot group where we have a Slack communication that we're using as like a mentor system and an encouragement system for each other. Yeah. And Maria Sella is one, again, one of the only other women that has ever written about this topic. And she's all over my MA thesis and the sources and all over my calls. And to be able to sit on a Zoom talk with her less than three months ago was, again, another surreal moment of, oh, my Lord, I cannot believe this. Because in this topic, in, in women or gender in German hip-hop, you just don't run into that many people. And literally, you don't run into that many German academics that do it either. That when you do, it's such a small community, it gets you really excited. Thinking, hey, I'm not the only person out here spinning in this universe that nobody knows and seems to really know much about except the artists themselves. No, there are some other people that do. And those two things were re really helpful into getting me back into what I came here to do, which was do what I promised, <laughs> which was write about the people that gave me their time and energy for the interviews. Here's all of the tips and tricks. And that was my last question. That's a beautiful thing to end on. Yeah. Find something that gets you back into it in your head because you you can have the best topic in the world and you can know that it's very vital and that hardly no one else is writing about it or maybe there are a ton of people writing about it but you've got your own niche but if you don't feel motivated boy time can easily slip away from you and again no one works everyone works at their own pace but it's really hard to stay focused and know that what you're doing means something you've got to network. I guess it goes back to basics of how it all starts. Network. Network with people to get the interviews. Network with them after you leave the field and go back to your home base. Don't let those contacts go. Keep up on them so that when you return, it's like a friend returning back to where, you know, here you are again. And make sure that you keep that motivation level as high as possible within yourself. Thank you for advice and being a part of Soundmore, even from Germany. <laughs>Soundlore is an official production of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University, produced by David McDonald and Amanda Luke. Music by Pagliacci and some other clowns. Engineered by Amanda Luke. Questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Leave us a message at 812-855-0396. If you haven't already, please subscribe to SoundLore on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.